Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome. Welcome to the Trampoline Hall podcast. I'm your host, Misha Globerman. Trampoline Hall is a lecture series that takes place in a bar, uh, usually in Toronto, but sometimes in other cities. People give lectures on all kinds of subjects, with the one restriction being that they cannot lecture on subjects on which they are professionally expert. After each lecture, we take questions from the audience. Uh, Trampoline Hall, just so you know, if you're listening to this, you probably know this, but Trampoline Hall is uh, originated as a live show in a bar uh, in Toronto. We've been doing it... uh, every month uh, in Toronto for a very, very long time. The podcast has been around now actually for a year, which might seem like a long time, but it's not actually that long. Um, and while Trampoline Hall has been every month just like clockwork, uh, the podcast has been uh, tremendously irregular, just different schedules all the time. We had one last month. Uh, we're going to have one next month. And I'll tell you now, uh, the schedule is probably going to change again, which is that what we're going to do is we're going to be moving to uh, sort of mini seasons. So what we're going to do is we're going to release... Um, six in a row, like one every week for six weeks. Then we'll take a bunch of time off and our producer, Josh Block, will like run the podcast making machine for a while. And then we'll come back and we'll do another uh, block of six, uh, six episodes in a little season. Uh, We'll keep you posted about the exact dates on that, but that is what the future of Trampoline Hall holds. Also, I'll tell you this, if you like the show and you're in Toronto, you should come see the live show. Uh, It's like the podcast uh, except it's alive. Uh, if you want to know about that, you can check out our website, uh, join our email list. Uh, That's great. Uh, You will love it. That's a lot for you to know, so I think now is the time uh, to go to this episode's lecture. Let me warn you first, uh, this episode, like every episode, may contain mature language. Uh, The topic of the lecture for this episode is etiquette, and the lecturer is Amy Langstaff. Hello, my name is Amy. I have a friend named Peter who was in law school in the mid-70s, and um, he had a friend in law school who was a car enthusiast, and he'd always planned since he was a kid to buy himself a stylish car when he finished all his education. So sure enough, uh, they were finishing up law school, and this guy you know, broke the piggy bank that he'd been fill- filling literally like since prepubescence uh, and bought himself quite a stylish car. And uh, one of the features of the stylish car was a very pleasing tan leather interior, I'm told. So law school is wrapping up, and uh, they have a big end-of-year party. My friend Peter and his friend are there, and the friend is going to give Peter a lift home in in the new car. So they set out from the party, and uh, they come upon a professor of theirs who's leaving the party on foot. And uh, Peter and his friend both really like and admire this professor, 
Um, partly they think he's brilliant, so they respect him intellectually, but uh, they also find him very debonair, and they admire his gentlemanly smoothness. So he's, he, he's a favorite of theirs. And they pull up beside him, and they ask him, they ask him if he'd like a ride. And uh, he's very gracious. It's clear that he's quite drunk, but he's very gracious, and he says he would like a ride. So Peter hops into the back seat, and uh, the professor gets into the passenger seat, and they, off they go. And after a few minutes, Peter, in the back seat, uh, hears the sound of vomiting. And he knows that the professor is vomiting all over the tan leather interior of the brand new car. But then as he sort of peers around the edge of the passenger seat uh, to assess the damage, he realizes that the professor is not, in fact, uh, vomiting all over the tan leather interior of the brand new car. Uh, the pref professor is vomiting very tidily into his own sleeve, thus. <laughs> yes, he is. And uh, so as, as the vomiting concludes, they're pretty, much, they're pretty much at the professor's home by that point. And uh, so he gets out of the car and holding his sleeve erect <laughs> so as not to spill any vomit into the car, he exits the vehicle. And then with sort of a whipping <laughs> motion evacuates the vomit as best he can from the sleeve onto the sidewalk and he turns obviously to the dumbfounded students you know they don't know what to say and he turns to the two students and he says once a gentleman always a gentleman um, so this anecdote is pretty close to my heart uh, for a number of reasons but the biggest one is that I am a chronic sleeve vomiter um, I've I've never actually literally vomited into my sleeve, but I do so metaphorically all the time. And by that I mean that when embarrassing situations arise, I almost invariably would rather just take the lumps myself, like physical pain or monetary expenditure or clothing destruction or whatever. I would rather just take the lumps myself than allow awkwardness to linger in the air. And uh, I think I'm probably not the only sleeve vomiter in the room. Um, like, if you have ev ever been faced with an offensive joke and just sort of smiled weakly because you couldn't face the social disruption that would result if you delivered the scolding that righteousness demanded of you, that is sleeve vomiting behavior. Um, if you've ever pretended that you weren't sick because you didn't want to deal with the extra attention and the frou-frou of, you know, revealing to others that you were in physical discomfort, also sleeve vomiting behavior. It, I mean, if you've ever actually vomited into your sleeve, obviously, <laughs> you know, you do the math. <laughs> That's, you're a sleeve vomiter also. Um, so I was sort of interested in awkwardness and how that works and what's so bad about it that we would actually like endure physical pain or like vomit into our sleeves or whatever in order to sort of put it off. Um, so I did a little reading on behalf of Trampoline Hall and um, I found that there, there seem to be three major theories of embarrassment among like social psychologists and sociologists and people like that. Um, and they seem to be, one, there's a, the self-esteem theory of embarrassment, which suggests that uh, we feel embarrassed when um, our actual behavior in the world fails to measure up to our ideal versions of visions of ourselves. So, uh, you know, you don't think of yourself as a yutz, and then you act like a yutz, and you get embarrassed. So that makes sense. Um, the second theory of embarrassment is the, the social esteem theory of embarrassment, which suggests that 
um, you know, you worry if you commit a social blunder that you'll fall in other people's estimation of you and you'll lose social status. The third theory, which I would like to talk about a little bit tonight, is called the awkward interaction theory of embarrassment. And uh, as far as I can tell, this was first advanced by um, the sociologist Irving Goffman. And in 1956, uh, Irving Goffman wrote in the American Journal of Sociology, the elements of a social encounter consist of effectively projected claims to an acceptable self and the confirmation of like claims on the parts of others. So when we interact socially, we all sort of project our acceptable selves into the scene, and then we all agree that that's who we are, and we all sort of prop up and reinforce each other's claims about our acceptable selves and how acceptable we all are. We're just so acceptable. Um, and then when one person gets embarrassed, uh, that person can't suffer on their own because all of our acceptable selves are sort of interdependent and so everyone else's identity starts to sort of cave in a little bit and uh, the whole system is kind of destabilized. So Goffman writes that after an embarrassing moment uh, the inhabitable reality shrinks until everyone feels small or out of place. <laughs> True enough. Um, so to me the awkward interaction theory is the only theory that, uh, you know, of the three that really explains all the rich nuances of social awkwardness. Um, you know, my fellow sleeve vomiters in the crowd, I'm sure, will attest that there are like a bazillion ways to feel embarrassed and awkward. Um, you know, you can be embarrassed for yourself. Um, you can be embarrassed for somebody else. You can be embarrassed at the idea that somebody else might be feeling embarrassed for you. There are just so many layers of like fear and vulnerability and empathy and just insecurity. And I think that the awkward interaction theory is the only one that really encompasses that whole rich tapestry of anxiety that is social life. Um, I think the other two theories would probably posit that when other people get embarrassed and we feel it, uh, you know, that's empathy. We know that it's hard to suffer from embarrassment and we, that we feel for other people when they, uh, you know, get embarrassed. But like, speaking for myself only, obviously, you guys might be more magnanimous, but speaking for myself only, uh, when I see somebody else humiliated, um, it registers in parts of my body that really only care about me. Like, I, I don't think there's any altruism in that feeling that I get when I see other people embarrassed. Like, it's really a survival, like, seizure. Um, so I think it's, uh, th th those feelings are actually too visceral to be empathy, basically. Um, Anyway, so we're all sort of involved in this conspiracy of face-saving, uh, which is not always to the good, because we let people get away with bad behavior, because you know, we can't face the awkwardness of, of confronting them about bad behavior. And as far as reinforcing other people's identities, you know, we make assumptions about people, and we stereotype, and we make false claims about ourselves, and all that. So there are lots of flaws. But there are three things about the awkward interaction theory uh, that make me feel a little bit better about being a human being, and I'm going to tell you what those are. Um, the first is, I find it really lovely, the idea that um, we're all sort of stewards of each other's identities, and that when we interact socially, we all kind of hold each other together and um, take care of each other and make each other comfortable in a way, even if we don't think we're doing it, and even if you know we're among strangers or whatever, we're actually kind of looking out for each other. Um, and that's related to my second point, which is that in the awkward interaction theory, um, there's no way of disentangling our self-interest from other people's interests because since we suffer so much from other people's embarrassment um, and our comfort is so organically connected to other people's comfort, we have this visceral interest in sort of protecting other people uh, from embarrassment. 
it strikes me that this is probably like a not perfectly <laughs> calibrated aspect of human beings because I, I know that I can sometimes meet someone and I know that they're like desperately sad or in pain or whatever and I can sometimes manage to feel pretty much nothing about that. And, uh, you know, not all the time, but sometimes. And then I meet somebody who is pretty much fine in life and they have, like, mustard on their face and I just feel it in my bones. Like, I'm collapsing from this weird empathic relationship with them. So that doesn't make a lot of sense. But um, I do think, though, that, you know, there's at least one area of life in which we have some kind of weird, almost physiological compulsion to take care of other people as we would take care of ourselves. And so, you know, that's... I'll take that where I can get it. Um, the final thing is that um, I like the idea that uh, after a moment of embarrassment, because everyone's identity has been a little bit destabilized, a little bit shaken, um, everything's kind of up for grabs. Like, how will it all be reconstructed again? And you know, as you know, like almost all the time, you know, somebody makes a crack, and we all like get back on track, and we just move forward as we were before. But there's always a chance, like there's a crack in everything at a moment of embarrassment, and um, there's always a chance that, you know, no one will ever be the same again. So that's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of exhilarating. And actually, if you read, you know, if you read the letters uh, in, in teen magazines, uh, you know, that when the girls write in their embarrassing moments, like 99% of them end with the line, and he never spoke to me again, <laughs> which suggests, you know, they couldn't reconstruct their identities vis-a-vis -vis one another. Um, so just before I close, I'd just like to come back to uh, my new favorite professor. Um, so he's just vomited, uh, just you know, in the car of his in the car of his student, and his uh, you know poor judgment and his bad behavior and his bodily vulnerability. All these things have put on been put on pretty glaring display for these two students. And for his dismount, he says, "Once a gentleman, always a gentleman." Uh, and I don't want to you know eviscerate the joke because so gentle and great, but. Um, I do think that he sort of, wh what he's doing is he's sort of reconstructing his acceptable self for them. And instead of trying to grasp back at the debonair mentor status he enjoyed pre-vomit, he sort of, <laughs> he sort of pokes fun at that status and he offers them a new acceptable self that's a little bit, uh, you know, richer and more human than the, than the old acceptable self. And I think it's quite lovely. So I think the reason that anecdote really gets to me is that you know, those of us who are sleep vomiters know that the war against awkwardness is like an unending war. Like, it will never end and it will never be won. But um, some battles are more successful than others. And I think that on that occasion, those three people together uh, kind of achieved a, a, a victory over shame that was quite dignified and quite decisive and quite sweet. And I think it was so decisive and so sweet that you know, here we all are. I hope, uh, I hope that you are, as I am, uh, taking comfort and courage from the war story 30 years later. Thank you very much. You're listening to the Trampoline Hall podcast. I'm Misha Goldman. Up next, the Q and A. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Are there any questions? I know it's so complete, it seems hard to imagine. But yes, you, you ma'am. I just have a question for, do you have any advice? I know people who are compulsive sleep vomiters who someone vomit into their sleeve and promptly puke themselves. Do you have any advice for those? Oh, for, for actual nausea? I, no, I'm, I'm prone to that as well, so I'm interested in this. Uh, that and the metaphorical way, but the people who see someone else and they empathize so much that they... Like who put mustard on their own face in response to the other person? It's troubling. I don't, I don't think anyone has the answers right now. I... I you know, we're all advancing and growing and learning, but I, I don't know right now. What, what's an example? What's an example of figurative? What? what I, I can't even... <laughs> Not so much mustard on the face, but I know some people... Um, someone will say something embarrassing, and then, you know, someone sitting at the table will realize, well, that was an embarrassing thing to say, and so they'll regale them with a similar tale to sort of cover up the embarrassment of the other person, oh. hence making themselves more embarrassed <coughs> than they otherwise would have. Oh, but do you think everyone's increasingly suffering or everyone's increasingly enjoying the stories of embarrassment? Because actually, uh, when I was reading about embarrassment, they've, uh, they've done you know, studies about how people try to recover from embarrassment and how people uh, try to help people who have been embarrassed. And actually, um, some of the helping techniques are things like sharing you know, stories when you have been similarly embarrassed. Um, so they, that might be actually a quite constructive behavior. I, I don't know if we, could, we should put the kibosh on that at all. All right, so we say yes, carry on, co-vomiters of sleeves. Um, yes, you ma'am. Have you done any experiments into taking advantage of that risk? Like redefining yourself in a pre-planned manner? <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you have in mind? What are you... I'm wondering like, if it's possible or if you have any experience of like, just you know, jumping on top of the social ladder in a moment like that. <laughs> Oh, you mean like when things collapse? When things collapse, like Amy could somehow like emerge as queen? That's such a good... I'm going to strategize with you after about that because I I really just learned about this opportunity in the last week. So, and I... I, I'm not sure if I have the gumption for it, but if I can get it together, I, I would... We should talk. You like, you like get into the elevator with the, with your boss. The doors close. He farts. Suddenly, you're the boss when the doors open. But no one knows how. Just everything's up for grabs. That's an ill-fitting suit, Amy. You're fired. <laughs> um, 
Uh, any, anything else that people... Uh, yes, you, sir. Uh, has your research turned up any possible <coughs> treatments or therapies? Uh, because for myself, I've got the sleeve problem so bad, I have to actually turn away from the TV if something embarrassing is happening to a fictional character. No, I hear you loud and clear. I'm running out of jackets is what I'm saying. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so there with you. In fact, I had a part that I took out of the speech because it's too long, uh, but I had a part about how I like, physically can't watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, like literally physically, because it's just too troubling to me. So I don't have the answers, but I definitely feel your pain. Like really <laughs> in here. Uh, 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 yes, yes, you may. Uh, what about bullies, people that seek out embarrassment? Are they like agents of social change? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your taunt. <laughs> Obviously, they are. <laughs> yes. Okay. Great. There you go. That's that's the that's the way to treat them when they ask like that. Um, anything else? Anything else that um, of you, sir? Yes. Okay. So my question is: Would you rather be like you or like me? Which is that what I do is <laughs> be such a good question if you ended it right there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, so the difference between, between you and me is that I, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, there's, you know, plenty of people like, uh, like this, but, you know, I anticipate the possibilities of, of embarrassment so far in advance, and then, you know, go out of my way to avoid them uh, completely, you know, just, uh, uh, you know what I mean? Like, you just stay away from everything that could possibly... But you, don't you see that you'll never be queen if you persist in that behavior? Like, you're going to miss out on exactly the kind of opportunity that we're talking about here tonight. Um, no, I, I actually do that as well. But I'm going to try, you know, I'm real, in all honesty, like I'm going to try and stop and just calm the hell down about the sleep vomiting and the embarrassment, uh, if at all possible. Like, ideally, I would become queen, but uh, failing that, I think I would like to just, you know, encounter the embarrassment and the awkwardness head on and just take some deep breaths and come out stronger on the other side. Once a gentleman, always a gentleman. So wait, are you specific? So in response to the question from, from, the, from the fellow over there, you're specifically saying that a policy of non-confrontational cowardice you don't think is a better, a better path? No. Okay. No, I don't, actually. All right. Sorry. Um, yes, you, sir. Um, you keep talking about these experiments that you read about. I'm curious the nature of the actual experiments. How That's do you a great question. So the question well, is, what are the actual like scientific experiments where they embarrass people? Um, well, they differ, but depending on the discipline, they differ. Like social psychologists are always doing weird stuff where they just like send their grad students out into the world to do kooky things. Um, so some of the some of and there is not I, I, I don't, maybe I just was doing bad research, but I didn't find all that much work in embarrassment. The ones that I found were like social psychologists would send students out into the world to do awkward things, and uh, the students would actually frequently not be able to do the awkward things because uh, really the physiological compulsion compulsions are so intense. Like I, I work with a social psychologist who uh, tried to get his grad students to go and stand the wrong way in an elevator and they and they couldn't. Like they came back and they were like, we can't do the experiment, it's impossible. And, and he was like, you guys are such wusses. Like kids today just suck, you know, kids suck. And he went out and tried to do it. He physically could not do it himself either. Um, so that, that's one thing. Um, the thing I was talking about with the um, strategies for helping people and stuff, that was just uh, some academics got a huge, like, many hundreds of undergraduates to, like, submit, you know, just written stories of embarrassment and how they responded and how other people responded. So methodology varies. It's all equally shaky, but methodology varies uh, according to discipline, I guess. 
So there, there you go. Was it like a job you were hoping to get? Were you like, I would like to be a, a worst a, job, <laughs> worst job. I think it depends who you are. I think that there are. I think that there are those who would happily go around vomiting in other people's sleeves. But they like, would, I think there are such people in the world. You know, they'd screw up all the variables. If you're not experiencing enough anxiety, you know, you. That's true. Um, are there any any other questions? Things, or, oh, from the stage. I'm sorry. Yes, you men. Um, if if a Ocean, um, ounce of prevention is worth a pound of that. Cure. Pound, pounds, cures, ounce of prevention. <laughs> um, then could we not work towards just uh, unembarrassing things? Like, there, is there not a fine line between mustard and makeup? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what's your? I don't understand your question. <laughs> um, what if we could like prevent a situation being embarrassing? Of to oh, like making it making everything okay so that nothing's embarrassing. Be like, it's cool. Like make make mustard on your face cool. Is that the idea? <laughs> okay. I I think that's a great uh, a great question. And I think actually we already uh, expend a lot of effort in that direction, like trying to make things uh, less embarrassing or trying to cover up when things are. I don't know whether we can actually relax the rules. I think that's kind of an intergenerational thing. I don't know if we can all pull it off. You know us right now, but um, uh, actually, this Goffman paper is really beautiful. In 1956, Irving Goffman, American Journal of Sociology, check it out. Uh, but he says at the end that people are actually kind of sacrificial lambs in uh, social systems that embarrass uh, embarrass us. So when you experience embarrassment, you're actually coming up against like social rules that are in conflict, or like society is demanding more than one, asking you to play more than one role at the same time. And you, you as an individual are kind of the sacrificial lamb that like, you know, acts as a buffer between these huge social systems. And the closing line in the essay is, uh, social structure gains elasticity. The individual merely loses composure. <laughs> wow. It's lovely. No, it's nice. Wow. So th there you go. Did you, did you did you have a question or did that was 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 your question if she had a pithy quote? I'll just repeat it. So, so he has a two-year-old kid and he gets embarrassed for the kid. Well, I get embarrassed for him when he grabs somebody and goes, "I'm waiting for the fireworks." And it's like. <laughs> Wait, so your two-year-old grabs somebody and he says, I'm waiting for the fireworks. And does he mean that figuratively or does he? What? Oh, at the fireworks. Oh, okay, so it's not inappropriate. So how to make this less embarrassing for yourself, basically? Yeah, it's just brutal to watch him get socially. Oh, because like the 10-year-olds diss him? Oh, okay, all right, gotcha. Okay. Well, no, the 10-year-old. So, so, so he has a two-year-old kid, and the two-year-old kid is overly enthusiastic about fireworks and presumably other things in the company of 10-year-olds whose blasé, world-weary ways <laughs> make the enthusiasm of the two-year-old seem dorky, even though to us, we find it charming. There's an, it, and it is a generational thing. It's cool if you're two or if you're 30, but if you're 10, it's really not on. And so you want to know if there's something you can do about that? <laughs> How can you not have bad feelings? I'm sorry. I'm, uh, now, now that we've got there, I'll give it to you to answer. 
well, I mean, point one is like your child is an angel and the 10 year olds are jerks. Like that's point one. So, you know, take comfort there. And, uh, you know, and you can take pride in the fact that you've created a, you know, a human being in cooperation with some partner, possibly. I, you know, I don't, I don't know. Maybe you adopted. That's great. Like, anyway, but you're the guardian of this small human being, and that's wonderful. And ten-year-olds are ten. Like, I, I think you should shake it off. I think you should. <laughs> it's it's tough love we offer here at Trampoline Hall. Just just buck up. Uh, uh, yes, you, ma'am. funny you would think that there would be something delicious about it but uh, for me it's just pure anxiety because for some reason you know if, if some if one of you you know God love you if you want one of you tripped right now I would feel like it was my responsibility to like sort things out from up here and uh, so yeah I, I would actually experience no pleasure at all because for some reason I think that of all the whatever hundred people in here whoever whatever it is it's my job to make sure that you don't trip and I don't know what that if that's my mom or whose fault that is but it's not pleasurable is it more painful for you to watch someone else be in an embarrassing situation or for yourself to be in one um it's 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 different. I would I would say it's actually maybe more painful because I feel more powerless when the other person do, like if I'm in an embarrassing situation I can you know make a little crack or you know flee or whatever. I'm sort of <laughs> I'm more in control. Whereas the other person or the worst is when somebody you know should be embarrassed and they're not and you've got to shoulder all their shame that they should be feeling, all your shame, all the solutions that the room should be generating. It's really daunting. <laughs> all, right, um, uh, all right, sure, yes. He's there. Was there any mention about reliving embarrassing situations to figure out what you should have done right to plan for the future for next time? But reliving embarrassing situations, in like... Own, in your own mind. For, 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 the sake, for the sake of improvement or for the sake of self-torture, or both? <laughs> for either. All right. I think it's actually a, tr a trick question because when something's really embarrassing, it's not that you couldn't quite figure out the nuances of what the right move was. It was it's like the right move was so abundantly clear and you couldn't do it. It's not like you have to sort of fiddle with the situation afterwards. It's like, well, maybe if I just carried the one, it could have... There's no nuance. Like, you're just a seething idiot. And then, not, not spilling the wine on her shirt. <laughs> exactly. For example. Exactly. Uh, uh, yes, all the way near the back of the room with your hand up. Uh, just to follow up on this curb your enthusiasm thing, is there like an entire branch of comedy that's just lost on you? Yeah. <laughs> it's not lost. Like, I get it when I see it. Wow, do I get it when I see it. Um, it's not lost on me. It's just too uh, physically painful for me to, you know, pay $3 to, you know, rent it and bring it home and put myself through that. Like, I can just do it on the subway one day, you know, God forbid. Right. Um, yes, you, you ma'am. How do you feel about kissing? Like on, I mean, on... <laughs> Please save it for after the lecture. Funny you should ask. <laughs> oh, kissing on film and screen, film and television. Does that oh, embarrass you? No, I feel great about that. Like, I'm not squeamish. 
Uh, it's really, it's about people acting. Well, it's if it's a stupid kiss. If it's a stupid kiss. But yeah, no, kissing, okay great, great. Even more, you know, beyond. Kissing and beyond, fine, but just don't be embarrassing. Right, just as long as nothing gets spilled or broken yeah. during the kiss. Exactly. <laughs> Well, I, I, I think that's all, that's all we could know. Um, thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, Amy Langston. <laughs> Trampling Hall was created in Toronto in the 21st century by Sheila Hetty and is hosted by me. Uh, this episode's lecture was chosen by Margot Williamson. This podcast is produced by Josh Block. Our theme music was composed by Matt Smith. Uh, Trampoline Hall is a podcast, which means you can subscribe to it on all the ways you normally get to podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, if you like the podcast, you can leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, that really helps us out a lot. Also, if you like the podcast and you're in Toronto, you can come see the live show. Uh, go to our website. You can find out when the shows are and sign up for our email list to get announcements. I'm Misha Globerman. Thanks so much for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.